Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. First time in season five of this show, Neil Channing is alongside me. Good to see you. Very excited, very excited to be asked back. I mean, there's always a bit, you know, when it was the end of the series, I thought, they're never going to get me back on it. And I was like, very pleased, very pleased. I'm guessing you were up late into the night like we all are watching Emma Raducanu. Well, that wasn't that late into the that night. That wasn't that late, actually. I should have been, earlier, been I, earlier to bed than half eleven. Actually, I, I was a little bit off my game for the racing yesterday because the night before I'd done five sets with Djokovic and I felt like, you know, I'd really been through the ringer. But no, last night was terrific, wasn't it? It was a, a great Twitter event as well. I, I was very pleased I got a reply from Martina Navratilova this morning. Very, I mean, very the, nice. the expertise of the horse racing fraternity <laughs> on tennis last night was just it's nothing almost, short of it's outstanding. It's almost as good as when you get them on vaccines. <laughs> I mean, one of our producers here on Racing TV was publicly called out by Piers Morgan as well. That was another great highlight of the evening. Particularly good. I don't like to encourage Piers Morgan, so we don't you know, never mention him. Uh, have you ever seen, mm. on a sort of semi-serious mm. point, not trying to burnish my mm. very limited knowledge of tennis, but have you ever <laughs> seen such composure and poise from a, a sports Both of them, actually. I age? mean, they're both finalists. Both right? them, Amazing. Exactly. I mean, I, I did see Martin and Navratilova said that, you know, you're watching two future Hall of Famers, which is a bit, quite a bold shout, really. But they, they both do look amazing. And women's tennis has been in a little bit of a transitionary period, so... You know, probably could do with some new stars, really. Yeah, how, it was great. And as you pointed out last night, how great was Martina to listen to? Really good. Yeah, really good. I mean, actually, we, we I think the British actually really like Americans coming over here and commentating. You know, McEnroe and, uh, and in the athletics, you know, people people really like uh, Michael... Um, <coughs> oh, that's bad. I've forgotten his second name now. Uh, you know, the 400 metres Johnson. guy. Michael Johnson, yeah. He's terrific. And, uh, you know, I think I think people... I don't know what it is. People quite like... You know, for the Brits, in some areas, would sort of say, we don't like Yanks coming over here, you know, telling us what to do and whatever. But they are really good at commentating, actually. They should do all commentary. Mm. Apart from horse racing, obviously. Luckily, it seems that sometimes <laughs> that, that works in, in reverse, which is... Which is, which, is, which is good for some of us. Now, I want to talk about the Irish Champions stakes yesterday because we're going to be hearing from Aidan O'Brien in a few moments' mm. time. And if the tennis last night was you know, the, the best of you know, really good, hard-hitting, clean sport, the Irish Champions stakes were sported <laughs> at an elite, elite level, but I'm not sure it was all good, clean fun, was it? Well, I mean, you know, I guess at the end of the day they didn't touch. So as long as they didn't touch, nothing was going to happen. Although I don't know, in France, he'd, he'd have been out, would he? I think he'd have been. I think he might have been out here yeah. under the way that the rules are being applied in in Britain now. Mm, mm. Um, but anyway, it's a brilliant I, I performance that, uh, from, from, I, 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 from the, the best, the best horse still won, didn't it, on the day? Don't you think? 
Yeah, I think on, on balance over this distance, uh, 10 uh, uh, Of course. Of course. I, think, I, I, I think the best horse did I, I mean, I think the runner-up, you know, is a mile and a half uh, mare, isn't she? And I, 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 she's going to go to the arc, is she? You know, I assume. I didn't catch that afterwards. Yeah, I mean, Dermot Weld had said earlier in the week, and he'd said quite clearly, whilst he had her where he wanted her for the Irish <laughs> Champion Stakes, he had left plenty to work on for the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. And the truth, Neil, is that she is a, 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 a mare who would win nine out of ten editions mm. of the Irish Champions. Yeah, States, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was with, a particularly with, good with race. With the Phillies yeah. allowance. Yeah. No, of course. And with the allowance, you know, must have a great chance in the art. I, that was, I mean, that was a, I mean, it was a great race in its own right yesterday. But I found myself watching it and thinking, oh, I might have just seen the art winner there. That was my initial reaction as they crossed the line. Rather in, than in the runner-up. What a, yeah, well, rather than what a brilliant race, you know. And Poetic Flair, another outstanding run, first time up at 10 furlongs, yeah, sticking to the inside. I, I think there was a feeling that he might kind of pull hard and not really get the trip. I don't, that didn't happen. Uh, maybe racing, uh, you know, a bit alone on, on the other side didn't really help. But, uh, I mean, he was in front, wasn't he? The half a furlong out, for sure. You can see with the way that the grass is mown at mm. Leopardstown how many lanes... Ryan Moore's moved across, edged across on some ice. There is no mm. contact. There is no contact. Yeah. But it's just a sustained move, Absolutely. almost into that posse of photographers. Yeah, I know the, top, the photographers. Right I, I, I saw that. I thought those photographers were brave or stupid. I'm not quite sure, but they, that last guy, he very nearly got it then, didn't he? That would have been quite messy, really. Well, I suppose the key question now, one that I'll ask Aidan in a in a moment, is: Is there anything? more for St Mark's Basilica to achieve, having won the Dewhurst, yeah. two classics, an Eclipse and an Irish champion stakes, and obviously he was forced to miss the Judmont International through sure. a small injury. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't want to second guess. Let's wait and see what Aidan says. Let's do that. But for the time being, um, where would you like to see Poetic Flair go now? He's not in the champion stakes, but he is in the QE2 at Ascot, where he could meet Bailly. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I mean, he hasn't. It's not like you've watched that race and thought, oh, well, he didn't stay, so we better go back and trip. Uh, I mean, but you know, he's not as good. And also, as I say, he did race on his own. But he, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, those are those are two things you could say. But he didn't win that race, did he? Maybe he is, but he's just better at a mile. Just come back to a mile. But was it good betting day for you yesterday? Uh, I found it. I'm never very keen on the Saturdays where you have to keep flicking channels. Can't you just have it all on racing TV? That would be easier. Um, I, I feel, Doncaster <laughs> has been a bit annoying for me. I, I don't feel like it. it's not really a proper festival. It would be much better three days and chuck a couple of the races out, really. But yesterday was really good. Uh, you know, the week races were I, earlier I really in the week. I've really enjoyed the racing from Donny. I've really enjoyed yesterday, but I, I thought there were... Three or four races earlier in the week, where I thought, oh, this, you know, what the hell is this doing in there? Um, whereas yesterday was brilliant. I thought I really enjoyed Doncaster. I, I love Bath. I must have gone to every meeting there for seven years in an earlier part of my life. Um, was did we need that on a Saturday? I can't really remember any of the winners from there. And then of course the machine went down. You know, and you got that age-old existential question: you know, Does a race really take place if you can't bet on it on Betfair? Did it? Did it ever happen? Uh, there was a, there, uh, you know, I think the whole of Musselburgh was messed up by that, and most of Lingfield. But um, it was a bit of a funny day. In the, you know, we're kind of out of the evening racing time of year, aren't we? But we had. Three o'clock in the afternoon meeting starting when I was already busy zapping on different channels and trying to keep up with the football and the golf and everything else. Uh, it made it quite hard. I, I had a headache by the end of it. 
But given your attention span, do you not need all this to keep you stimulated? Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, I'm like one of these sort of, you know, this idea that millennials can't concentrate more than about, I'm not a millennial, but they can't concentrate more than about eight seconds on anything and everything has to be dumbed down. Yeah, maybe that. Maybe I'm just in that category Weren't now. you the prototype millennial? <laughs> I probably was, yeah. I did, I did really enjoy the same ledger, though, I must admit. I mean, that was a, a lot nice to see the Derby form franked. And uh, I, I think, you know, really a good winner, you know. I seem to have backed that horse uh, on the times when it's got beat and missed a couple of its wins this year, but uh, Hurricane. Yeah. Yes, he's only been he's only been defeated once, hasn't uh, he? Uh, yeah, I backed I did back it. I backed in the Derby, and I yeah, and I, I, I didn't get beaten in the Dante. No, it won, won the, the Dante. Of course it did. Sorry, I, you're right. It won the Dante. God, that seems a Welcome long time back, ago. Welcome back, Neil. Welcome back. That does seem a long time ago. Great to have you back. That does seem a long time ago now. Um, the season goes on for about a year, doesn't it? It's ridiculous. So ridiculous. And his season may very well not be done because he could yet join Adar in the in the. Mm. Yeah, which I mean, they, I think you know. Obviously, we we saw one of the art contenders uh, fall by the wayside this week in Wonderful Tonight, but uh, it looks like it's going to be a brilliant arc. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the French racing this afternoon. I think uh, you know that that's always a good meeting that I like. Yeah, very much. Sorry, that's on the other channel as well, isn't it? Listen, we're a, we're an equal channels. By the way, I mean, I, let me this, throw, I'm going to say it on air because I think I've suggested it at least three times. I actually don't like the kind of thing where we pretend that, you know, if it's on the other channel that we can't talk about it at all. During Royal Ascot, mm-hmm. I think I think Racing TV has way the better pre-race, you know, build-up stuff in the morning. You should just do all that in the mornings of Royal Ascot. Do all the build-up. Have all your great pundits. Because this kind of pretending that people aren't going to watch it is just nonsense, isn't it? You know, like, and it, or that it's not <laughs> happening. Just, just have it, as, and then people come. Even do the do the soccer Saturday thing. Have a bunch of people sitting in front of the screen watching the races and talking about it, even if you can't show it. There you go. There's my million pound idea for you. And that's where I'm going to. Use no neat segue at all into <laughs> saying uh, a very good morning and congratulations on another one in the RS Champion Stakes to Aidan O'Brien. Hi, Aidan. Good morning, Nick. How are you? Very well, thank you very much. Um, I'm very grateful for a number of reasons that you've joined me on the line <laughs> right at this point. Uh, how is the Mars Basilica, first of all? Yeah, no, it seems fine. Uh, uh, Nicky just obviously just went for a stroll this morning. Obviously, didn't do much, but but seems fine. How how much of a, a challenge was it for you and the team to get him to to Leopardstown yesterday after having that little blip that made him miss your? Actually, I, I, it was a big one really for like everybody. This whole team around him really. The lads put in all the hard work. Um, listen, it was it was very touch and go for for a long time. Obviously, when that happened, uh, he, he was very sore when it happened, and uh, for a few days, you know. So, listen, big team around him: uh, John, uh, Killian, uh, Andrew, Matt. Uh, Everyone, Rory, uh, Michael. There's so many people I could be naming there that, like, that kind of go into making this happen, and 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 everybody kind of uh, really pushed the boat out to get him there and, and to help him to get there. If, if you know what I mean, uh, uh, Sean. There's just there's so many people. I, I probably have to forget loads of the people that are involved in it. You know, so I, I directly, like, very directly involved with them every day. But is that a measure? The fact that you name all those people and are very keen to do so, is that a measure of just how important this horse is, not just to you, but to the ownership and to Coolmore as a whole? Actually, he's very special for us because he's, he's Guy Sayuni and, and he's the absolute perfect blend and determination that you want in a horse. And um, we, we think and, and go, um, we've seen over the years that the probably most important thing of all 
in the stallion is pedigree and the will to win. And uh, and that genuineness is, is what we think and see have made the, the good horses great. Um, it's what goes inside in their minds and they want to win. It's the will to win. And it's, it's um, and, and this fella has it. Obviously, it's, it's Galileo had it like no horse that we've ever seen before. And, and this fella has the, the, the Galileo traits and the, uh, and the speed then from Sayuni. So... It just makes them like obviously extra special, and, like like really, really important for us, really. Aidan, do you believe he simply had to replicate what he'd been doing earlier in the season yesterday, or do you think he had to take his own level of performance to another level? I, I think well, yesterday was kind of it was always going to be a very cat and mouse race, and and like they, they were like like if you saw them yesterday, they, they they came from the gate and they went along, and then the pace completely dropped. And, and well before they turned in, you could see them sucking back all three of them. So they were all coming back, coming back, coming back, getting ready to sprint. So then they turned in, and then it, it was kind of just they let fly. So it's a very, very difficult thing uh, for a horse um, to do. Um, so they, like, I don't know what the fractions were, but I would imagine, I didn't see the time frame, so I would imagine the race is very slow, but I, 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 it would be very interesting to see what the fractions of the last two or three furlongs were. You know, because they really ran down the straight. And when you see horses at that level running down the straight as hard as that, and uh, like, and he, and he ran through the line too, which was which was great. You know, listen, it was it was a, a spectacle. It was an unusual race um, to have three horses like that. And like Joseph's horse went along, and, and he's a, a very decent horse in his own right. You know, so it was um, listen, it was just a, one of those really unusual races that you don't see very often happening. You know, so um, but it was great to see it. How worried were you in the stewards' inquiry? I, I didn't really have any. I didn't. I didn't have any um, worry about it. I didn't think at all because of the distance and, and going to the line. He looked like he was well on top. But listen, obviously, uh, um, obviously, uh, just, just one, one second, man. Um, uh, um, just one second. When you're ready, we we'll just try away slowly. Everyone, see Thanks, everybody. Um, uh, listen, obviously. The horse he drifted, and I don't know why. I don't know what the reason for it was, because um, uh, he's, he's a horse that runs very straight, and, and uh, like as we can see. Um, so, like obviously, you're, you're, in any inquiry, it's always uh, always uh, a worry, I suppose. But the, the distance was clear cut, you know. So, and you don't ever want to see that anyway. Our, our inquiries in races, you know. So, um, um, listen, it's it's. Uh, I listen. I like. I've always believed, like in any race, no horse should be allowed to drift ever, and uh, um, that's and um, that's the way it is. And but listen, that, that's the way it was. But no, we we were um, like we were happy, really, uh, watching it, you know. And obviously, we were sorry that it happened. Aidan, do you think do you think we'll see him again on a race course? Uh, listen, it's very possible. It's obviously totally what the lads will decide, which they always do with all the horses. Um, like obviously he's. Like he's a Jew horse winner, he's a French Guineas winner, French Derby winner, Egypt winner, now the Champion Stakes winner. Um, so like he, like he's, like he's, he's danced every dance that we've asked him, and, and like probably to dance that dance after what happened was was a, a serious performance. It's going to depend on what way the lads view him or, or what what like like I suppose if they want to expose him further or like ask him to do something that he hasn't already done. Um, uh, in, in, in meaning stretching them out further, I don't know, you know. Um, like, I think with all the other trips, seven, uh, seven furlongs a mile, a mile and a quarter, like, he has, he's answered all those questions very well, you know. So, 
listen, it'll be totally up to the lads. I suppose what'll happen is for seven or ten days, we'll, we'll let him get over the race and see how he is. And then the team that are directly around him will talk to the lads and see what... And then about him, tell him about him. And then, and then the lads will make the decision what they want to do, really. I feel like it's, it's, it's Groundhog Day a little bit for me because I, I've been in this position a ton of times before where we, you've had a horse of this sort of calibre, of this profile, and the question has always been, might you, might you end up at the Breeders' Cup Classic? And quite often, you give it a go and you roll the dice, and very nearly on a couple of occasions, it's worked. Is, is that a possibility? Listen, I suppose everything is a possibility. Like we were uh, just lucky and unlucky that we were just beaten in the classic a couple of times, um, and, and it is always a possibility. But I, 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 I um, and, and listen, obviously lads will decide on whatever they want to do. Like we'll go within half and a half. Um, but he is a bit unique, this fella, and uh, like he's, 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 he's uh, like of all the horses went forward, he just 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 something a little bit special about him, about the pace he has and the determination he has, and and like I keep going back to, he, he runs with that head straight out, you know, um, and it's, it's his will to win. I think it just makes him a little difference, and I suppose it depends on how how much the lads want to risk him, um, you know, and and, uh, and 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 there always is a risk when you go to a different part of the world on different surfaces and different everything, but. Um, uh, listen, he always has had showed loads of speed. Like we thought early on, he was a Coventry horse, and, and obviously the, the season didn't work out for him. And then he ended up going to the Jew horse. But he has speed, he has determination, and like obviously has a certain amount of stamina that he's getting a mile and a quarter very well. Uh, Aidan O'Brien with the news of St Mark's Basilica. I'd like to see him have a go. But then, of course, I would. I'm a racing fan. I'm not the owner. I was just laughing because I thought you actually had more chance of getting me to alter whether Mark's Basilica would run again than getting yeah, Aidan to. I, I when you asked me, I should have just said, well, we'll get the lads round and then we'll get the lads are going to do this and the lads are going to But over time, you kind yes. of intuit what, what someone's feeling, don't you? And Did it, you feel from that like he was giving you a clue? I didn't feel like he hated the idea. Yeah, but presumably he's never going to hate the idea. Like he always wants to run them, doesn't he? Because he's the trainer. Like if if you're, he's not the breeder. So I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, isn't he going to be always erring towards the side of mm. oh, go on and throw the dice? I, I think what roll, I did roll what the I, big dice. What I did pick up from that is it's it's more about the the preciousness of the commodity than yeah, it is about yeah, trying to yeah, than, sure. than it is about worrying about devaluing the reputation. Because yeah. really, you don't. You don't devalue a reputation no, if by gets, doing something if totally gets different. Beat, you get beaten in the if classic. Yeah, that's not going to make a big difference. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I guess, you know, obviously there's always a risk of injury or whatever. Okay. Um, any, anything else we need to talk about from Leperstown yesterday? Yes, particularly the matron states with no speak Alexander. Because again, we've got a. We've got a, a, a a worthy, worthy winner, and she's a very talented filly, but a somewhat there was, there was, there unsatisfactory was, was no conclusion way, to the race. Yeah, there was no way, in my opinion, that she was going to get kicked out. But again, we've got a jockey coming across when they're not really clear. And uh, I don't know. I, can't, I'm, I, was, I was flicking back and forward, and I, I didn't watch it more than... I just watched it live. I didn't watch the replays or anything, really. But, I mean, it feels to me like... The second they get not even a length clear, they just want to come across these days and get on the rail and, and block off the others. And uh, I don't know, that doesn't look great, does it? I mean, was she not just nat- was she not naturally 
getting getting herself into the rail anyway? Or would well, you... I mean, they, they want to run against the rail generally, and the jockey's whip is in the right hand. So, the, the, you know, the right hand rather than necessarily the correct hand. Yeah, he got a five-day suspension. Yeah, which, you know, some people might argue, is that going to be enough to stop him? I that, mean, that's relative to a one-day ban that Ryan Moore picked mm. up for careless riding. Yeah. Do you yeah. feel that? Do you feel the, the comparative severity? Well, Ryan of those Moore had his uh, Ryan Moore had his whip in his right hand and was trying to correct uh, some Mark's Basilica from mm. drifting across. Mm. Uh, though, he, though he had quite clearly made the the manoeuvre to go true. diagonally right rather yeah, than ride yeah. dead straight down the. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd make a big argument that Ryan should get more. But I, I take your point that if you. If, I can't remember who the jockey was. Shane Foley. We're Shane about Foley, to hear of course, him. we're about to hear from him. Um, uh, yeah, obviously, if you give Shane Foley more, then that's going to look a bit weird compared with what Ryan Moore got. Um, I've done it again, haven't I? I've slightly slagged off Shane Foley just as you're about to speak to him. Um, I don't mean to. I, I just think it's a general thing that we're seeing a lot of, isn't it? Horses get a little bit clear, not even a full length clear, and they come across and hit the rail because you know, that, that wraps up their race effectively half a furlong out. Um, I don't know, it, it looks a bit dangerous sometimes, but you know, Shane Foley probably sitting there thinking, who the hell is this guy? How many winners has he ridden? You're right, Shane, I haven't ridden any. Well, the, <coughs> Shane may have been watching because um, since you started talking, the line's going straight to voicemail. Oh, thank God. Phew. <laughs> 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 yeah, just pretend like we never had this conversation. <laughs> um, very good day for Jessica Harrington. Yes, another Group 1 winning three. Yeah, Ger Lyons and Jessica Harrington. They, won every, they won every race, didn't they? Ger Lyons, a four-timer yeah. on the yeah, first yeah. day of, of Irish Champions Yeah, weekend. between the two of them, they absolutely he smashed it, didn't they, really? Yeah. Yeah, I hate it when these big stables just dominate the whole thing. Is that what people say normally? Yeah, there's great. it's great to see some... Uh, they're not small stables, obviously, but they're not, you know, it's not everything going to Bally Doyle. It's, uh, it's good. But Joe, Joe Lyons, I, I, I find him a, just a mm. fascinating study, really, because he is, as his brother Shane said, and his assistant mm. Shane said a couple of weeks ago when he got those thousand winners, mm. he, he's, he's always done things his own way. He's against the grain. He doesn't subscribe yeah. to everybody's orthodoxy. If he says something that isn't with the crowd, he's, you know, he's quite prepared to articulate I thought, that. I thought that was quite interesting. He, that was the first time he'd been racing for, like, however long, mm. a long time, since COVID, basically. Yeah. Um, and he basically said, well, what's the point? You know, I'm the trainer. Like, I don't need to be there. I've got staff that can deal with that stuff. I don't, you know, I, I've got much more important stuff to do at home. Which, I, you know, I don't know whether, maybe if, you, if, we're, if we're running out of talking points, we need another one. I don't know whether we had it on the list, but the whole um, Fergal O'Brien, um, Graham McPherson thing. So it's on the list. <coughs> oh, OK. It's on the list. Don't, uh, well, don't, we're spoil, don't talk about spoil it that. now. I won't spoil it now, but I, what I was going to say is, like, the, the, you know, for trainers, they do have to be skilled in, a, like, a variety of things. And, and actually, yeah, it's possible that they don't really need to go to the races that much. Do Maybe you know they what, just like it. Do you know what the good news is? Mm. Shane Foley's a very nice man. <laughs> I'm he, sure he is. I, he, was, I didn't mean to say he, he wasn't. Does, he doesn't bear a grudge, which is why he's, <laughs> he's joining me on the line now. Morning, I Shane. Love, I love Shane Foley. Morning, guys. How are you? <laughs> very well. Congratulations <laughs> yesterday. I don't know if you've, if you've heard us talking, but obviously we're talking about the, the finish of the race, and it was a great success for you, but then obviously you got the ban as well. Just talk me through, talk me through the last couple hundred yards of yesterday's race from your perspective. Yeah, I got, I got into a nice position there, Nick, and travelled away good and, and followed followed Chris Hayes throughout the race. And, and just as we were turning in, I, I vegged out the challenge down Chris's outside and and 
Ryan's head has appeared. Obviously, Ryan has followed me, but um, I was going okay at the time, and and I picked up my police picked up, and <clears throat> I've kept my line. It's not like I've given her one one flick. She she's drifted, and and I've corrected her then. But um, so look, she 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 travelled through the race like like a winner, and she's picked up, and she stayed going the whole way to the line. Um, just, just for those who are watching you say, well, it's like the Wild West now. You can pretty much do what you want. You can just knock a horse over and, and win a Group 1. Just just give me your take on that from a, from a rider's perspective. Um, I, d- I definitely don't think that you couldn't d- definitely say that. Um, no, from a rider's perspective, you're, you're, you're riding your horse to the best of your abilities. Um, if I was swung out off the bend and, and Ryan's kicked up in between me and the horse that's been in front of me. I don't think that would have looked good on my behalf. Um, and I was entitled to keep Ryan tight turning in and my filly then then drifted a bit left when I did hit her and, and that's what I got my suspension for. But um, no, look, it, it, it's part and parcel. It happens day in, day out. Um, <clears throat> don't think it was dangerous riding or obviously it might have been, I probably should have pulled it through to my left but I didn't know she was going to drift until I hit her that one belt, and I did correct her, and I was gone, gone clear at that stage. Then after after, after she had had gone forward, let's concentrate on the on the victory because this filly wasn't winning a Group One of this nature necessarily out of turn. You just had to forgive one below par run, I guess. Yeah, well, look, she was very impressive in the Tazi early in the year, in the year, and then she came out and she ran a massive race in the Irish. Guineas, and it just took us a while to get her back from that. She had a hard race that day, and took Mrs. Harrington to this time to get her back. And obviously, France is a non-event. If if you look back through France, mm. the interference I received today in the Group One in France was was uh, was bad, and and I just minded her after that. And obviously, with the matron in mind, and luckily enough, it, it all came good yesterday. Uh, and Shane, Jesse seems to have a, a really sure touch with with the Phillies in particular. I think that's her fourth Group One winning female in the last in the last three years. W- what do you think she she does differently that that's given her so much success? I, I personally, I think probably people send her better Phillies because she trains them all uh, well and good, um, and just she's just very good. She's very talented trainer and she trains the horses all individually like like I said that's Billy really had a very hard race in the Curra for again and it, it's took her now to get her back to the way she was before the Guineas and that's always a, a sign of a very good trainer I think to, when they can get them back and the whole day for you yesterday I know I know we talked about the suspension but the whole day was was a fantastic story of success uh, for you for Jessica uh, we talked about Joe Lyons Aidan O'Brien as well just how significant for you now is Irish Champions Weekend. You know, how oh, how much of a part of the year is it? It's the pinnacle of our year. Everything leads up to that. It's it's our it's our all Ireland as the lad says, but um and you're gearing all your top ones towards there and that's from six weeks ago the plan is always it's always leading towards Champions Weekend and when it all comes together like that, it's amazing and, and to have a day like we had yesterday was unreal. Welcome back. You're watching Luck on Sunday. There were many great highlights of York's Ebor Festival, but for Ray Dawson, this will live long in the memory. This was Zane Claudette beating her field pretty comfortably. 
in the Lowther Stakes, following up her success in the Group 3 Princess Margaret at Ascot. She has been the highlight of a wonderful season for the rider who, as I said, has turned his career around, turned his life around, and is now sitting pretty with 50 winners for the calendar year achieved at Sandown on Friday. Ray Dawson, welcome to the show. Thank you, yeah. Thanks great, for having me. Great to have you with us. Yeah. Um, it has been a pretty amazing turnaround, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. It's, it's uh, you know, some people say it's a miracle. Um, I say I'm just very lucky. Um, and then obviously the clip you just showed of, of St. Claude there to, to find a filly like her as well um, is something that, uh, you know, you dream about. So it's it's been a... A roller coaster ride, but uh, a very enjoyable one, especially the last couple of years. Anyway, it's been very enjoyable. Because you're what, 27 now, 28? 28. 28. Am, yeah. So you're still really incredibly young, but an awful lot has been packed into into that time, as you say, both high and low. You've come out and talked quite extensively about some of the issues you had earlier in your career, addiction problems, drugs, drink. You've had some wonderful success in the saddle over the last 18 months or so. When you were growing up in, in Ireland, in, in County Kildare, what sort, of, what sort of young man were you? What kind of boy were you? I was a, I was a boy with, with dreams and hopes. And, uh, you know, I was just a, a normal kid. I loved my sports, didn't like school. <laughs> um, a pretty normal. I had a great upbringing. You know, my family are, are, are wonderful and, and they've always have, have been. Um, so it was, there was nothing, you know, that stood out to, 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 to say, you know, the reason why I went down, down the roads I went, you know. Um, you know, my hometown is a typical, typical hometown. You know, you've you've got your, you know, your good and bad people. And uh, for some reason, uh, somewhere along the line, when um, in my early teens, I went off. You know, f from from being, you know, an ambitious kind of hopeful young man looking forward to to a career in racing, I, I went down the complete opposite road. Um, and it took a it took a long time for me to to realise that I needed to change my life. You know. Um, so yeah, you know, I had a, I had a very normal upbringing, um, and I had every opportunity to not mess things up. You know, um, my mum has always been supportive. My 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 Luke, uh, my uncle Luke has, uh, you know, big part of racing in Ireland. So I had great opportunities, um, and for whatever reason, I decided to to go the long way around. Did things happen quite easily for you to begin with, with the horses and with with riding? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think I was always natural. Um, so the, the the riding was always quite easy to me, um, you know. I was with Charles O'Brien, and he gave me some some really great opportunities. Um, I rode some really nice horses for him, and you know, I always seemed to to get a bit of luck on the day, and you know, win at the right place at the right time. Um, so yeah, it, it, I wouldn't say it came easy, but I think it came a lot easier than than it would for a lot of people. But did you always feel natural on a horse? Is that something that was instilled in you from a very early age? Yeah, definitely. Definitely, it was, it was where I was happiest as well. So when was the first time you thought, or when you look back on it now, when was the first time you could identify that the path was just getting a little bit blurry, that you weren't quite sure where to go? Yes, yeah, it's a good question. I suppose it was quite early on. You know, It wasn't like 10 years later when I was 25... I woke up one morning and realised that my life's a, a mess. Um, I, I knew quite early on, but I was too young to uh, to know what to do about it. And well, was, so even sort of like 15, 16? Yeah, I'd say 17, 18, I really started to realise that, you know, uh, I was I was doing the wrong things. Um, but you're at an age where you don't want to admit it. You know, you don't want to say to anybody because you think you're going to be okay. 
and by masking that it makes it worse you know um and and when it gets worse it gets it gets harder to get out of you know um but i was also i was living a double life you know i was to people that didn't know my problems i was a jockey but people who knew me i was definitely not a jockey i was someone who needed to to get help and i needed to change what i was doing but at the end of the day only i could do it so it was a struggle from from an early age. It was a struggle, you know. Mentally, it was a, it was a, it was a real struggle. Um, and there was times when I didn't think I was ever going to change. There was times when I thought, you know, I'll never ra- I'll never race right again. Um, so, yeah, it was a lot of difficult times. Um, you know, and I, I'm just very lucky to be able to reflect on them times now, and and uh, with the success behind me as well, it's it makes me very grateful. So, how did that that manifest itself? Was it just partying and then some? Yeah, partying and then you know a lot more as well. Um, I, you know, I enjoyed it. You know, I'm not gonna lie, I, re- I really enjoyed it, and it took that enjoyment took over the enjoyment of race riding. Um, and unfortunately, I couldn't I couldn't see the line I crossed over, so I just kept enjoying myself. Well, I thought I was enjoying myself, but I wasn't. And when it became a point where I had to to stop. I couldn't stop. It had become an addiction, you know. Alcohol had become a crutch. Um, drugs were obviously a big thing as well, you know. Failed a couple of drug tests in Ireland um, when I was quite young as well. So it was a complete disaster, you know. As I said, I was living two different lives. I was trying to hide. I was trying to escape from from everything. Um, and then, I, I, you know, I stopped race riding because it was easier. You know, it was easier for me just to stop. But it's quite interesting because you, you clearly were able to function quite effectively in life A, even if life B was taking you off the rails. It's not quite as straightforward as because I'm doing this, I therefore can't do that. It's being able to function that's almost the dangerous part of it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, maybe on the outside I was functioning, but on the inside, you know, internally, I definitely wasn't functioning well. Uh, I wasn't coping with anything well. Um, And as I said there, it got to a point where it was easier just to stop the racing for a while. Well, at the time, I thought it was going to be a while. It ended up being probably three or four years before mm. I, I race rode again. So, Tell me about those three or four years. What did you do? <laughs> God, what did I <laughs> Have do? Have we not got long to enough? To be honest with you, Nick, I don't really remember them. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It was a blur. It was a mess. Um, I was trying to get my life back, and it was very, very difficult. Um, and, you know... As I said, it was all kind of the four four years was kind of mushed into one year of the same repetitive stuff, you know, bouncing to job to job, coming to England to try and change my life. Were they all jobs in racing or outside racing? I've always had a job inside racing. Okay. Yeah, yeah I've never, I've never had a job outside racing. I'm I'm not good at anything else, you know. So I came over to England um, when I was 21 to to change my life, but I never change anything all I did was change where I lived you know I, I hung around the same sort of people went to the same places and it was the same result you know um, so yeah for four years or so it was it was a struggle um, um, but I never I never gave up on mm. on the dream you know I never for whatever reason it was that dream that was in the back of my mind from a very young age of being a jockey was never left me and I'm very grateful for that because I think if it did leave me I might mightn't have pursued the career and probably wouldn't be sitting here you know i know you you rightly identify that you can take yourself out of a location but 
your own issues stay within you. But was there a place, a space in the UK where you found yourself feeling more comfortable, happier for whatever reason? Yes, it was the day I met my fiance Abby. Um, you know, a lot of people have come into my life trying to help me, um, and whatever it was when I met her, it intensified the want for me to change. You know. Um, so how did you? How did you meet? We met in a racing yard in, in Jane Chapel Himes. She was in for a. Um, she was in for a trial, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> typically <laughs> enough, I, I just about made out of bed that morning actually as well. I wasn't going to come in that day. We, we always talk about that morning, actually. Imagine if I didn't go in that day, I wouldn't have met her. Um, and there was a reason that she was in there that day. And, you know, as I said, a lot of people have come in my life trying to help me. But when I, when I met her, it was, it was different, you know. I, I was struggling for so long to, to find a way out of this life I'd, I'd messed up and, and developed for myself that when I met Abby, it was like, there's my chance, you know, there's my chance to really try and... And even if I'm not a jockey, just have some sort of a life with someone and maybe have a family. And it was from there that, you know, things started to change. You know, it wasn't straight away. There was there was some moments that were very difficult still, but everything had calmed down. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't drinking as much. I wasn't going out really at all. Um, as I said, there was times when, when there was a few struggles along the way, but it was definitely the start of me changing my life. So, what sort of person is Abby? <laughs> she's uh, she's she's ev everything you'd want someone to be. She's very strong. She's determined. You know. She's focused. She's encouraging. She's she's everything. You know what I mean. She's everything. If I didn't meet her, I wouldn't be here. My next guest is the Chief Executive of the British Horse Racing Authority. She has been in situ since Nick Rust's departure in January of this year, prior to which she had held a board position on the BHA board and also worked for what was then Northern Racing, now part of the Arena Racing Company, and before that held senior positions in the brewing industry. Subsequent to leaving racing before her return to the sport, she held senior positions at the Football Association before becoming head of British Cycling, quite a post to relinquish to come to run a sport as unwieldy, as complicated as difficult and with so many conflicting opinions as horse racing. Uh, Julie Harrington, welcome to the show. Welcome. Well, welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> not, not, not at all. And I suppose the obvious question is, having held fantastic positions in other sports, high-profile sports like football and, and cycling, British cycling as well, why did you want to come back to racing? Perhaps I should have spoken to you before I took the job, <laughs> Nick. The, uh, I mean, it's really, it, the answer's really simple for me, is that uh, racing had my heart, that um, all the time I was away from racing and working in, in football and cycling, I was still a fan, mm. um, still going racing. Uh, you know, I love the, the variety that British racing has, whether it's, you know, stood on, a, on the hill watching them running towards you at Bangor or having a, a fantastic day out dressed up at York. Um, and I was doing all that while I was working in football and cycling. So when the when the phone rang, um, obviously my first my, my first reaction was not a chance. Um, but then I, I I was thinking it through. I was still a fan. I was still watching racing on a Saturday with a laptop on my lap, um, and thinking 
do you know what? I, I, could, I could stay on the outside criticising or I could roll my sleeves up uh, and give it a go and, and, and get involved. When you were on the outside then, what were you criticising? Um, probably um, racing's fantastic ability to beat itself up. That it is a wonder sometimes that how how do we get you know fourteen hundred fixtures on a year um, and watching from the outside slightly removed outside the racing bubble um, we do an amazing job you know and I was watching from a, a distance when COVID hit when I was running another sport and I was watching enviously just seeing racing pull together to every day keep the show on the road. I mean, it is a massive operation. No other sport in this country has so much sport. And, and we should be proud of that. And so much variety, so much heritage. And we, we're incredibly self-critical. Does it have too much sport? The, it's a question that is asked so often. And uh, for me, it's a question of balance that um, we have, uh, we, you know, primarily we are a sport. And so making sure that we have the ability for the most talented horses to make their way through um, has got to be paramount. But we're also an industry and we're an industry whose revenues are driven um, through media rights and through betting revenue. And so it is never as simple as just saying, let's reduce the, the, the number of times we race because it's a really complex ecosystem. And, and it's, it's got to be balanced, where we're balancing the needs. And, and for me, if we keep the North Star as the customer, and, and what is it that the customer wants to see, whether that's the race goer or the punter, um, and the, our biggest investor group, the owners, um, and just making sure that we are constantly delivering what they want. Uh, occasionally, I think we, we get that balance slightly wrong. Um, but it is about balancing our ability to generate revenues for the sport um, and our ability to showcase the very best horses um, at the top of their game. How are you getting that balance wrong? Are you saying you're getting that balance wrong too much in favour of the owners or the horsemen or too little in their favour? Where, where, where's the imbalance for you? I, I would say as a, as a customer, when I've been watching from the outside um, and speaking to you know my friends and family that... Um, obviously, we live this sport day in, day out. But for lots of people, they dip in and dip out. They're sports fans. Uh, and the thing that attracts them, the shop window, is obviously the, the quality end. It's the big racing festivals. Um, they're sports fans. So, you know, what comes on your radar in those, those you know, weekends like this weekend, for, ex for example. Um, and sometimes... Um, we, we need to make sure that that quality can shine through the volume. But in, but in terms of when, when you say the balance, you, you said, I sometimes think we get the balance wrong when it comes to particularly the owners, you said. Is that, do you feel owners just aren't getting a fair return? Is that what you're saying? So I, I said that it's a question of balance yeah. and it is a complex um, every year to try and get that balance right. And when there is criticism, it's because people believe that the balance has slipped mm -hmm. slightly out of place. And depending on the audience, they'll, you know, uh, there was a really good series in the Racing Post recently, which, which showcased the sheer difference in views um, and trying to balance all those views because 
whether you're a bookmaker, whether you're a media, media company, whether you're an owner, uh, and you know, lots of the yard visits I've done since I've been in post, um, the response is different depending on the horses that people have got in their boxes. So if you've got a load of 0 to 70 rated horses, you want more racing at that end. If you're, you've got a, a load of, of group and pattern horses, you want more top end racing. So it, it's, it's constantly trying to keep that balance. And, and what I'm saying is if we can keep the interests of the customer at heart, mm. then hopefully that we will get that balance right. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about, about funding in a minute, but just on the on the fixtures, the fixture list will be released next week, is that next right? Next week, that's right, Nick, yeah. And so this year, 2021, 1,366 fixtures. 2020, there were 1,491. Can we expect more fixtures or fewer fixtures in 2022? I think you're going to see around the same. Okay. Um, and so it, it's re fixtures, of course, are only half the story. Um, the next challenge is to work with... Um, our constituency with the race courses, with the, the horsemen in terms of the race programme that sits within those fixtures. But in terms of 2022, obviously um, still in recovery mode for the sport and I think we shouldn't forget that. Um, we're recovering from a pandemic and so we, we will be putting on a fixture list that in terms of numbers is, is um, much as we are this year. When you look at how small some of the fields have been through the last six weeks and you've seen three, four, five runner races on a fairly regular basis and right from the top all the way down to the bottom, because you'd expect smallish fields at the very top, pyramid of horses, abilities like yeah. that. How anxious does that make you feel about having a similar size fixture list for next year? So the team at the BHA are, are constantly um, looking at, at field sizes, as you can imagine, and trying to understand the story behind the numbers. Um, because, you, you know, it's like the med median and mode averages that you, you look at it across the year and, and would say there actually hasn't been that much of a shift since, uh, say, 2016. But we're seeing underperforming races and really understanding why that is. And, and it's not all year. It's at certain times of year. There's been some innovations this year. Obviously, there's been investment in the racing league. We've had some investment in some big Sunday races. And, and inevitably, that's... Um, taking up some of the, the horse population and available runners, and we might be seeing yeah. underperformance in the week that follows. Now, now you were not in charge of the BHA when the Racing League was granted its additional fixtures, and the Sunday Series fixtures are modified fixtures, I suppose. But isn't it, Julie, all displacement? It's extremely well-intended displacement, but all you're doing is taking the water out of one glass and pouring it into another. It's not, it's not solution to providing for a, a broad base of, 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 of racehorses and racehorse owners, is it? I don't think there, there is one magic one solution, Nick, and I, and I think a uh, huge plaudits to the people who are, who are innovating because we will learn through that innovation. Mm. Um, and that, you know, in, in every sport, as in life, as in other industries, we learn through trying things. And I, and I think we need to be brave enough to try things. And, and it goes back to my original point about we are quite self-critical and I think we need to try, learn, iterate um, and, and in terms of the, the entire shape of, of the fixture list and the race programme in future um, for 2023 and beyond, the BHA and the race courses and the horsemen working together to, to look at mm. what is working what can we change? Sure. So, so I, I don't want to go down a racing league rabbit hole again, <laughs> particularly. But 
on the basis that if they are granted their fixtures again in 2022, which I'm guessing they will be? Still, still, as I said, the, the fixture dates uh, are going to be published next week, but there are still some sort of details around what's going to be happening. So we're not sure whether the racing league's returning in 2020. Still having conversations. Okay, still having conversations. But if that does come back, will you then compensate by moving other races around so you don't get that short field problem? Absolutely. I mean, that's the whole point of analysing what's happened this year. So um, through the next few months, while we're working on the race programme that sits within the mm. fixtures, that's exactly the sort of work that will be going on. I mean, you'll be quite familiar with the Keep Owners in Racing pressure group. Yes. Um, they've been very vocal on social media and elsewhere and have produced a blueprint for the future of racing. Uh, been very vocal over the last 24 hours. They've said there's a profound sense that owners are badly let down by current leadership, governance structures and woefully inadequate decision-making arrangements. Is that a sentence that you can identify with either now or previously? So I've, I've met with John um, and, and heard his views direct not, you know, not long after I'd been in, in post. And clearly owners um, are a huge investor group into this sport. And the fact that they have continued to invest through you know, the, uh, the global pandemic, I think everybody is incredibly grateful for. Making sure that they are at the heart of our decision moving, moving forward it is, of course, paramount. I think one of the, um, you know, it is quite easy from the sidelines to offer um, criticism, um, uh, but they have offered proposed solutions as well. I do know that it is actually difficult to make things happen. And I think one of the things in, in my view is the BHA works with its stakeholders and it's really important that those representative groups are actually speaking on behalf of those stakeholders. And that is really hard. Uh, that's not unique to um, horse racing. It, it, you know, I've worked in other sports and it is, it is a common problem. But for, um, you know, speaking on behalf of 50 odd race courses is a little bit um, simpler, you know, some of which are groups, um, than speaking on behalf of a, a huge number. 8,000 owners, yeah. Uh, 8,000 owners, or even, um, you know, the number of trainers we have, the number of jockeys we have. Um, and, and so we will our decision making will only get better when those representative bodies can truly speak on behalf of, of the people they represent it. And I know that that's difficult. I'll never be forgiven for this. Rishi Passad is in Epsom. He has been working all morning for National Racehorse Week and the big Epsom Open Day. Morning, Rish. Hi, Lucky. How are you? Yeah, good. I wanted. I, I had about five minutes for you, and now I've got about thirty seconds. Tell me what's been happening. Uh, we had an excellent morning on the gallops this morning. About a thousand people turned up, Lucky, uh, ahead of obviously the start of National Racehorse Week and the open yards this afternoon. Well, from nine o'clock this morning up until one, so you've still got a bit of time if you want to get down. Mick Atwater, Mark Patterson, Roger Ingram, Jim Boyle, Lee Carter, Simon Dow, Pat Phelan. Uh, some fantastic um, offerings on show. Uh, obviously, if anyone can donate as well to Racing Welfare, who are organising it all, racingwelfare.co.uk forward slash donate. Uh, a great occasion. i just very quickly tell you as well, Lucky, this morning we saw a 70-year-old who's had a bout of cancer and a stroke leading uh, Mick Atwater's string on the gallops. Fantastic.
Oh, Rich, thank you so much. Um, and we will speak very, very soon. Rishi Passad on Epsom Downs this morning. This weekend marks the beginning of National Racehorse Week. It's a tremendous initiative. Do look up uh, their website to find out details of where you can go throughout this week. And many thanks to, to Richard Phillips uh, for, for putting it all together. And I'm sorry we can't get to him this morning because we are out of time. Neil Channing, thank you very much. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel, Dubai.